So a number of years ago, I was introduced to a statistic that frankly shocked me. And so, because I didn't want to suffer alone, I figured I'd share it with all of you. That only 9% of professing Christians have what is called a biblical worldview. A worldview being an intellectual, emotional, or spiritual decision-making filter that we all see the world through. And in more simpler terms, it's how we really see the world. It's what drives us. It what makes us. It's what causes us to make certain decisions in our life. And we, every one of us, has this lens. The only question is, which one is yours? How do you see the world? How do we interpret the world? What drives us to make the decisions that we do? Do we actually see the world through the way we say that we do? Or is it something else? That's the question for this evening. Now, nobody should be surprised that the dominant worldview in our culture isn't a biblical worldview. That hasn't been true in decades in this country, frankly, at the very least. But what is surprising is that among those who identify themselves as Christians... Only 9% of us actually see the world and are driven by and make decisions based off of what the scriptures tell us. Instead, according to George Barna, the most, the, the worldview most Americans draw from, including profession, professing Christians, is moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Don't let the name intimidate you, by the way. There's not going to be a quiz later. But it's actually not even a new idea. It's been around for thousands of years, frankly. You guys are, I'm sure, all familiar with some form of it. That there is some God out there somewhere that had something to do with creation. And has pretty much left the world ever alone ever since then to leave us to our own devices. That's essentially what this worldview believes. In this framework, God is distant, uninvolved, fairly uncaring. We only reach out to him if we really need him for something. And because of this understanding of God and who he is and who we are, our basic level of ethics in life is simply to be nice to each other. That's our marching orders, to be nice to each other, live happy lives, do what makes you feel fulfilled. And surely whatever version of the afterlife that is true, you'll be accepted into. That's, again, this moralistic therapeutic deism. That's what they believe. And I'll give them credit. That's logically consistent. Give credit where credit is due. Uh, and and then this is the, the fundamental pillar for the understanding of their philosophy that because God is uninvolved and distant, so people ought to be fairly uninvolved with God. Then the conclusion for how they live their lives naturally and logically flows from their understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. The problem with that, the problem for the modern deist is that their fundamental pillar of what they believe, that God is distant and uninvolved, was shattered into a million pieces 2,000 years ago in a manger. And the reason why we all come together tonight to celebrate. 
the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where God proved how much he cares, how much he loves us, how much he wants to be involved in our lives by adding humanity to his deity, becoming Emmanuel, God with us, as we just read a minute ago in, our, in the scriptures, that God is with us. Rat, closer than any one of those deists could have possibly imagined. Rather than being distant, he became one of us, lived like one of us, faced temptations like all of us do, faced trials and difficulties as any one of us. Now, why would God do such a thing? Surely he could have stayed in his throne in heaven. And well, that's where our deist friends have something correct, that by nature, we are separated from God, but not because he doesn't love us or doesn't care, but because our sins had separated us from God. Before sin had entered the world, the Bible teaches us that Adam and Eve lived in perfect fellowship with God, walking with him in perfect harmony. But then they sinned and created this separation between us and him. And everything has changed. Because of their sin, their guilt, and their shame, they hid from God. And be, because God is described in the Bible as holy and perfect, and I think we'd all, even on our best days, admit that's not us, that we're not perfect. We've all made mistakes and things we regret. And the bad news tells us that, as the Bible teaches us, that there are only two destinations in the afterlife. And if we are separated from God because of our sins, because he is holy and perfect in heaven, if we're separated from him, that gives us one option that we really don't want to consider tonight, do we? And this is what Christmas is about, that God knows that. And if he was distant and uncaring, he could have left us like that. He could have left us to his demise if he so chose. But because he loved you so much, he did something about it. That he loved you so much that he would leave the infinite riches and majesty of heaven to be born in a manger and become one of us. Living, as we said, like one of us, facing the same trials, difficulties, and temptations that we all face in this lifetime. And that being said, Jesus wasn't exactly born into a privileged family of kings. He was born into a poor family, the Bible tells us. And born not in a palace, but in a manger, surrounded by animals, and I don't know if any of you have ever been there for the birth of a child. That's not where you want a, your child to enter the world. Our kids and our grandkids, we would fight to keep them anywhere as far from a place like the manger as we could. And yet that is where the king of kings first lay his head in this manger. Not exactly what we would expect. He would then live his life serving others until ultimately dying on a cross, a, a criminal's death. And again, why would he do that? The same answer emerges because he loved you so much that he would do that for you. Because on that cross, he died taking the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future. 
so that the very thing that separated us from God could be removed and we could have peace with the God we were separated from and be reconciled to him. As Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, that true love has none greater than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. My goodness, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. That's exactly what he did on the cross, laying down his life so that he could give each of us eternal life. That's true love in the purest of forms. That is good news. <laughs> and that is why as Christians, we celebrate these truths all year round, not just on Christmas. So what truly greater joy is there than having yourself reconciled to God, having peace with God, having your sins forgiven, having peace of knowing where we are all going when we pass away someday. Those are beautiful thoughts to consider. Now, does that sound, considering all the things that Jesus did, does, does that sound like a God who is distant and uncaring and uninvolved? Not at all. The Bible describes a God who cares for each of us, who would do the greatest act of love possible for us, leaving his comforts in heaven to become one of us that we celebrate this Christmas Eve. Now, interestingly enough, some of you guys know my story. Most of you actually do as I'm looking around. You guys know I grew up in this very church. You guys knew I used to be the little guy running around here causing all the ruckus during the service. And, uh, you know, I don't have some crazy, wild testimony about how I became a Christian. I tell people that my testimony is remarkably unremarkable. But, uh, I mean, I remember for it started for me really when I, I went to a Christian youth event and I was taught, really reminded, because I knew all of these truths. I grew up hearing these things, but it wasn't until I was at this one event and I'm being reminded of these truths, as we so often all need, that something in my mind clicked, that this simple conclusion clicked, that I do actually believe this. I believe this is what is really real. I adopted this as my worldview, what we believe here and proclaim in church. And I realized simply, okay, that has implications for my life. Not in a like, oh, I got to get my life right. I got to stop doing all these bad things. Yeah, that came in due time. But the, the simple conclusion was, okay, if God does care about me, well, maybe I does, maybe. Maybe that's worth something investing in. Maybe it's worth getting to know this God who did so much for me. It's worth reaching out to him and starting this relationship with him rather than just having this mechanical religion that I had previously had in my life. And really, that was the first time, that, that night was the first time I ever really prayed in my life from the heart. I did all of these written prayers that we do here, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that was the first time I prayed from the heart. Because I realized Jesus loves me. He's close to me. He wants that relationship with me. I didn't have the words to express it at the time, but that was really when I became what the Bible calls born again, having that change towards God, 
that new inner renewal of the Spirit. I couldn't explain it that way at the time, but I knew something had changed. And that is what God desires really from each of us tonight. Not a dead mechanical religion, but a relationship with God from the heart. And the God who did that for me, the God who revealed those things to me, the God who reveals himself in the scriptures to me, cannot be reconciled with the God I started talking about in this service, who is distant, unloving, uncaring. You can't square away that circle. They don't go together. The same, that uncaring, distant God cannot be the same Jesus Christ that came in the manger to die for your sins later on the cross. So don't be, my encouragement is to not believe in that myth of deism, but to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Because he does care. He is not distant. He has done everything to be with us. He has done everything moving literally heaven and earth to be Emmanuel, God, with us. And frankly, we still, as Christians, call him Emmanuel because he is still with us tonight. In Matthew 28, Jesus' parting words to his disciples, he said that he is with us always, even until the end of the age. Hebrews 13, he tells us that never will I leave you nor forsake you. This is our comfort as Christians. The, the promised presence of God wherever we go. So know tonight that he knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he is, as you let him, with you. So whatever, know that whatever you are going through this evening. That we have this promise that Jesus is as close to you tonight as you let him. The book of James tells us, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. The, the, the promise of his presence, his guidance, his friendship, his peace, and all that he offers to those who believe in him can be yours tonight. These aren't promises given only to super saints that belong in a stained glass window. They are not promises made to people who are only here every single Sunday without with having perfect attendance. No, the Bible doesn't talk about salvation or even these promises as a something as a as an accomplishment to be earned, but that they're a gift to be given. What remarkable peace that is for us. For those of us who know that we are sinners and aren't as good as we desire to be. That's good news. That's the gospel. And frankly, it's also true that if you push him away, he will let you. He will let you. God will not force himself into a relationship with you. He will not force you to be close to him if that's not your heart's desire. And he will allow that. But one day we're all going to stand before him. One day we're all going to stand before God. And if that separation is, that was caused by our sins is still there on that day, that's not going to be a good day. And I know that's not a comfortable thought to think about. But I love each of you tonight enough to tell you what the Bible says is true. 
But for those of us who say yes to him and invite him near, there is no greater joy in life than to experience the God who is not far off, but is close to us, who moved heaven and earth to be near to us, to be Emmanuel, God with us. The God who does not need us to be in great need or need to, or need us or require us to make great promises and commitments to him to be heard, but that we have an open ear with the God of all creation, not because he, we have earned it, but because he loves us. That is what the manger means. That is what, as I contemplate God coming into the world, that first Christmas, the light of the world stepping down into the darkness of life. That's what that manger that I see around town and in displays and even here in our church, that's what that reminds me of. Thanks be to God. Amen.